Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. Had an idea for a murder mystery the other day. You guys want to hear it? Yeah, that's what I thought. But I'm going to say it anyway. Because you know the best part about asking rhetorical questions? Exactly. So here's the idea. A collector of celebrity-owned antiquities is murdered. At the beginning of the story, before his death, he shows off his collection. Amongst his prized possessions are a revolver once owned by Star Trek actor Walter Koenig, and a jar of pickled fish that was presented to Celtics legend Coach Auerbach after winning his first championship. So the detective quickly figures out who the killer was, but his case hinges on determining what the murder weapon was. At first, he is sure that the victim was killed by a gunshot wound, but it turns out that before he was shot, he had been poisoned by someone who forced him to eat 63-year-old fish. You see, Chekhov's gun was of no significance whatsoever. It was only there to distract your attention from the really important thing, which was Red's herring. So, yeah, wordplay. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Mark Paglia. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the sanctum, not a creature was stirring, not even a Hank Pym. Steve's personal effects were strewn without care, in hopes that fastidious Wong would soon be there. Steve in his cloak and pajama pants had just settled in for a long winter trance. When down on Bleecker Street there arose such a clatter that he astrally projected to see what was the matter. And what to the eye of Agamotto did appear? but a team of defenders caroling near. Their singing annoyed the sorcerer in his loft, so his astral form tried to shoo them all off. Go, Clea, go, Hellcat, go, Hulk and Red Guardian, go, Surfer, go, Namor, go, Valkyrie and Power Man, be gone from my block by the sons of Satanish, before you are joined by that jerk-faced Jack Norris. Unsurprised by the Sorcerer Supreme's holiday humbug, the defenders departed, each giving a shrug, and said as they left to celebrate the solstice, happy holidays to all, and to all, a synopsis. Synopsis! Thanks, Mark. Very festive. Defenders, number 88. October, 1980. Lord of the Wales. Which is bullshit, because the title should obviously be Prince of Wales which is what they said the title was going to be in the last issue and on the cover of this issue, but whatever. Written by Ed Hannigan, drotted by Don Perlin, inked by Pablo Marcos, lettered by Joe Rosen, colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram and Mary Jo Duffy. Defensive lineup. The Incredible Hulk. Hellcat. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. And Daredevil, kind of. Previously in the Defenders, 
An indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, the Incredible Hulk was having one of his signature leap off angrily and quit the Defenders moments, when he happened across a beached whale. At first, the petulant purple-panted powerhouse mocked the stranded sea creature for its misfortune. But then, the whale gave the green goliath a look that was like, Hey, stop being such an asshole. So the Hulk stopped being such an asshole and tossed the stranded cetacean back into the briny deep. Hooray! In more recent Defenders news, Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, was all bummed out because the government was investigating him for fraud and gross financial malfeasance. The billionaire do well bird enthusiast attempted to argue that the only crimes he had ever committed were years of thrill-seeking burglaries, a couple of attempts at destroying the planet, allowing funds from his company to be funneled into a snake-themed arsonist hate group, and maybe some fraud and gross financial malfeasance. But for some reason, the government was unswayed by this argument, and slapped the affluent avian aficionado with a court order prohibiting him from putting on his fancy bird suit and punching any crime. Hooray! Also, on a recent adventure, Hellcat crashed the fancy hover car that Black Panther gave her. Also, also, the Defenders are currently being stalked by an incredibly problematic supervillain named Mandrill, a shadowy secret organization which may or may not be affiliated with the U.S. government, a squadron of C-minus reductively named supervillains, and matrimonially-minded meathead and world's worst secret agent, Jack fucking Norris. Gadzooks! Which of our heroes' slew of sinister stalkers will they battle in this issue? Will the government finally relent in its perfectly justifiable and frankly mild persecution of Nighthawk? And what exciting feats of daring do bring Daredevil into our titular non-team's orbit? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... None of them. Instead, they fight the most dangerous villain of all. The prejudice of a grizzled sea captain. Yes, but then maybe no. And... Nothing much. Mostly he just swings by to do some bad lawyering and nearly reveal his secret identity. You know, typical daredevil shit. Hellcat and Valkyrie are hanging out with Kyle at one of Richmond Enterprise's many construction sites. Although he may be legally barred from assisting the Defenders in a crime-punching capacity, his real value to the non-team has always been as a financially irresponsible billionaire who really wants people to like him. As such, Kyle decides to dedicate his business's not inconsiderable resources to repairing the gang's recently crashed hover car. While Val bench presses the vehicle so that the mechanics can work on it, Patsy hangs out on nearby scaffolding and flirts with one of the construction workers. When the repairs are complete, Kyle asks Patsy to take the hover car out for a spin. The fancy Wakandan conveyance handles like a dream. But as she drives by, the construction worker Patsy had been flirting with tries to get her attention, and falls off the girder he was standing on. Whoops. Fortunately, Kyle sees his employee start to fall, and asks Valkyrie to javelin him towards the stumbling steeplejack. Valkyrie does as the impulsive industrialist requests, and Kyle manages to do some makeshift trapeze shit, and saves the clumsy construction guy from going kersplat. Hooray! And not having to turn the X many days since a fatal accident sign back to zero is not the only good fortune Kyle Richmond enjoys today. After depositing the embarrassed employee safely on the ground, Kyle gets a phone call from his lawyer. After consulting with Matt Murdock, an attorney who specializes in superhero law, 
The lawyer was able to get the government to drop the court order banning Kyle from putting on his Nighthawk outfit and beating people up. Hooray? Kyle's response to hearing the news is significantly less conflicted than my own. Barely taking the time to yell, Yippee! The excitable adventurer changes into his fancy flying outfit and takes to the skies. He does a few loop-de-loops before zooming off towards his lawyer's office to express his gratitude in person. As Nighthawk celebrates the continuation of his lifelong streak of avoiding the repercussions of his irresponsible behavior, Val and Patsy take their newly repaired hover car to rendezvous with their old pal Bruce Banner. After a recent rampage by his emerald alter ego, Bruce has been laying low, hanging out in the middle of the ocean on one of Kyle Richmond's many yachts. The hapless physicist stares out at the water and thinks to himself how nice it is to enjoy a rare moment of peace. Then a whale swims up, smacks the boat with his tail, and knocks him into the ocean. Hooray! Turns out that the whale is the same guy that the Hulk rescued a few issues ago. He fishes Banner out of the water and swims off with the soggy scientist on his back. Bruce wonders what the fuck is going on. In case you're wondering the same thing, what's going on is that a bunch of the whale's buddies are under attack from a Russian whaling boat. So the whale, who from now on I'm going to call Fudgy, swam off to look for help. Luckily, Fudgy was able to use his magic whale powers or something to zero in on the Hulk's exact location and recognize the Jade Giant's smaller, less green alter ego. Impressive. Fudgy swims Bruce back to the site of the whale slaughter, like an enormous waterlogged lassie, bringing help to his pod of Timmies who had fallen down the well of Russian maritime aggression. Okay, that metaphor kind of got away from me a little, but you get the point. Fudgy brought Bruce to help his whale friends. When Fudgy and his unwitting passenger arrive at their destination, they see a huge state-of-the-art boat mowing down hundreds of defenseless whales. Enraged by the sight of the seagoing Slavic slaughterhouse, Bruce hulks out and leaps towards the ship, intent on stopping the carnage, or, failing that, intent on punishing the sailors perpetrating it. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, an EMT named Leslie All storms into the hospital and starts yelling at one of the doctors. She's like, Hey, why did you let Dorothy Walker go home? She was all sick and stuff, and now she's more sick and is probably going to die or something. The doctor is like, Ah, shut up. I told her not to go anywhere, but she didn't listen. Now Mrs. Walker is a real piece of shit. And I should know, because I'm also a real piece of shit, which I'll demonstrate by being a condescending asshole to you. Now, why don't you go back to your little ambulance or whatever and let me go try to save that ungrateful asshole Mrs. Walker's life. And with that, the jerkhole doctor goes to work trying to save his jerkhole patient. Mrs. Walker, huh? Wonder if she's any relation to Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Nah, it's a pretty common last name. Ooh, I wonder if she's related to Cordell Walker from Walker, Texas Ranger. Speaking of Patsy, she and Valkyrie hover over to the yacht Bruce had been staying on and find that it's abandoned. So they head out in search of their missing chum. Even though they don't have any magic whale powers, they manage to locate their big green buddy pretty quickly. To be fair, Hulk tends to make a lot more noise than Bruce Banner does. But still, it's pretty impressive. They arrive at the whaling ship just as the Hulk is about to smash the bejesus out of it. They land on the deck of the boat. The poop deck? Sure. Why not? 
They land on the poop deck of the boat, and the captain runs up to them, and it's like, Val is like, my name is Valkyrie, but let's talk in English, because what's your name is one of the only two phrases Hub remembers how to say in Russian, and I can't think of a plausible reason why either one of us would ask the other where their eyeglasses are. The captain is like, agreed, there is no reason I can think of to say, so we should probably speak in English. Anyway, the giant green monster is trying to murder me. Please tell him to stop. At this point, the Hulk interjects and is like, Funny talking man is murdering Fudgy's friends, so just let Hulk smash them, okay? The captain is like, I'm just doing my job. But a sailor named Vasily is like, Nuh-uh, captain, even among professional whale murderers, you have a reputation for hating whales. The captain is like, what the fuck, Vasily? But, yeah, also, I fucking hate whales. See, one time, me and my whale-murdering buddies were out murdering whales. This was before we had our high-tech laser harpoons and shit, so the whales were a lot harder to murder. Anyway, this one whale didn't want to be murdered, so he thrashed around and stuff, and some of the guys trying to murder him died. Ever since then, I've hated whales. I mean... It hasn't affected my day-to-day -day all that much because, as I mentioned, I was already a professional whale murderer at that point, but I guess that's when I started being more into it or something. We'll never know if the Hulk would have been swayed by the captain's moving tale and authentic accent work, because before anyone could react to it, an enterprising young sailor decides that this is a great time to shoot the Hulk in the back of the head with an exploding harpoon. The sailor was mistaken. It was not a great time to shoot the Hulk in the back of the head with an exploding harpoon. In fact, one could argue that there is not a great time to shoot the Hulk in the back of the head with an exploding harpoon, because the Hulk hates getting shot in the back of the head with an exploding harpoon, and he is very strong and very good at smashing things. Predictably, the Hulk reacts to the harpoon attack by smashing the shit out of the boat they're standing on. This is unfortunate for a number of reasons. First of all, the gang's new hover car, which they had just finished repairing, was parked on the boat's poop deck, and now it, along with the rest of the boat, quickly sinks to the floor of the ocean. Bummer. But perhaps more importantly, the ship sank so quickly that there wasn't even time for me to use the phrase poop deck Donnybrook, and that's a real tragedy, because I really would have liked to have gotten to say poop deck Donnybrook, and I didn't. Not even once. Oh well. Patsy, Val, and the Russian whalers all pile into lifeboats, and the Hulk angrily leaps away. Bye, the Hulk! Meanwhile, back in New York, Nighthawk is happily zipping around the city in his fancy bird suit. He buzzes by a skyscraper and waves at the office workers within. Then he bumps his head on a low-flying plane and nearly falls out of the sky. Hooray! Once he recovers himself, Kyle flies up alongside the plane to yell at it and shake his fist angrily. But as he approaches the cockpit, he sees that the pilots therein are being held at gunpoint and had only flown into his head to try to get his attention. Nice job, pilots. Kyle uses his fancy suit's budget wolverine claws to slash his way through the hull of the plane. Then he beats up all the terrorists. Hooray! But one of the hijackers throws a grenade at him, which blows up one of the plane's engines. Oh no! 
So Kyle flies outside and uses his suit's jetpack to help bring the plane in for a safe landing. Wow. Great work, Kyle. Wait, I didn't mean for that to come out sarcastic. I just don't get a lot of practice sincerely praising Kyle Richmond. Let me try again. Wow. Great work, Kyle. That's better. Back in the middle of the ocean, the trials and tribulations of Valkyrie, Hellcat, and the Russian whaling crew are far from over. The captain gives a big speech in Russian about what a dick the Hulk is, and also that whales suck. And a giant squid attacks. Hooray! I mean, I like Hellcat and Valkyrie and all, but come on, a giant squid? That's just rad. Val manages to chop off a couple of the squid's tentacles, but that just seems to piss the stupendous Stephlopod off. It strikes at the lifeboat and knocks Valkyrie, the captain, and several sailors overboard. Vasily manages to rescue the captain and swims him back to the lifeboat, but Valkyrie's buoyancy is severely hindered by her armor and sword, so the sorcerously Scandinavian shield maiden plummets towards the ocean floor. In the chaos of the squid attack, her absence goes unnoticed. Vasily pries open a crate of vodka. Aw, oh, hell yeah! I knew there was a reason I liked this guy. He starts making Molotov cocktails and flinging them at the giant squid. Oh. Yeah, I guess that's a good idea, too. After a few minutes of being pelted with flaming vodka, the squid decides he doesn't particularly care for that, and fucks off back to Davy Jones' locker. Bye, giant squid! Once they're no longer in immediate peril, Hellcat notices that Val is missing. Before the concerned kitty cat cosplayer has time to get too freaked out, a huge creature surfaces alongside the battered lifeboat. It's Fudgy! Hooray! And he's being ridden by Valkyrie and the Hulk! Double hooray! Fudgy and his whale buddies surround the lifeboat and drag the sailors and defenders alike to the nearest Coast Guard vessel. Even the grizzled sea captain is forced to admit that maybe whales aren't so bad and that their general reluctance to be murdered might not be a sign of malevolence. The Coast Guard ship starts heading back towards New York, and the shipwrecked whalers and defenders wave goodbye to Fudgy and his pals. The Coast Guard decides against shooting Hulk in the back of the head with an exploding harpoon, which is probably for the best. The captain decides to give up his whale-murdering ways, and defect to the United States. Everyone kind of expects Vasily to defect as well, but he's like, Nah, fuck that. The USSR is kind of fucked up, but it's my home. And frankly, the US isn't such a damn prize either. Fair enough. Unlike the captain, Vasily doesn't explicitly swear off whale murder, but if he doesn't give it up completely, maybe he'll at least do it more dispassionately from now on? Hopefully? Not sure if that'll appease Fudgy's wrath. Back in the city, Nighthawk finally makes it to his lawyer's office. He finds that his attorney is huddled up with co-counsel Matt Murdock. The lawyers sheepishly inform their client that they may have been a little bit hasty in telling him that things were looking up. While it's true that he's no longer prohibited from his fancy dress crime punching, it turns out that the government still fully intends to prosecute Kyle for tax evasion, fraud, and fiscal malfeasance. The pugilism-prone plutocrat has a long, unpleasant court date in his future. Hooray! I mean, yeah, nice work rescuing the airplane and all, but come on, he's still Kyle. <laughs> and 
And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty decent. How are you going? I'm going okay. Been watching some bad Christmas movies lately. I'm still frustrated that there's not one called a Christmas werewolf, but whatever. Hmm. What do you know about making movies? (sighs) Not a damn enough, but I do know this. I found out that in Italian folklore, if you're born on Christmas Eve and you're a dude, it is believed that when you hit puberty, you turn into a werewolf. (laughs) Naturally. And yet, there still is not a romantic comedy called A Christmas Werewolf. That's a shame. It really is. I mean, I guess, in a certain sense, going through puberty, we all become werewolves. (laughs) I don't know. I I never got to be good at basketball. Yeah, that is an important part of werewolfdom. Basketball skills. Oh, have they ever made, like, a basketball-style Jim Cotta movie? Where it's basketball skills, karate kills? Whoa. I don't think so. Well, we better get to recording this so that I can get to work on my several new screenplays. I should say so. So, Corey, what did you think of this issue? Well, despite it being a, you know, one of those kind of placeholders between larger stories issues, I really enjoyed it. And... I gotta say that this cover is is maybe one of my favorite all-time covers. It is a really good cover. I'm kind of disappointed, actually, that so much of it is taken up with that banner on the top saying that I could win a Toys R Us shopping spree. Although, it did remind me of how excited I was with the prospect of a Toys R Us shopping spree when I was a kid. Minimum value $300, and so 1980s money and kid brain, that's like... A fortune. Yeah, we're talking several million dollars minimum. Yeah, I don't remember this specific contest because I was like two at the time and not a strong reader, but I do remember there being Toys R Us shopping spree contests and they would show clips of kids just going and having like two minutes to put as many toys as they could in a shopping cart, like supermarket sweep style. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like, spending so much time planning how I would go about that. And like, whatever the kid equivalent of on supermarket sweeps, how you have to grab the hams. It's like, okay, so first you got to go to the video game section. I'm not that into video games, but I know those are the big ticket items. Yeah, but they were locked down, right? Well, in my mind, you could just take all of the paper slips out of the things that say retrieve this for one video game. And that means like, you know how many pieces of paper you can fit in a shopping cart? Oh, you'd be a millionaire. That's what I'm saying. Nice. Anyway, my point is, I like the cover a lot, too. (laughs) (laughs) It is just fucking awesome. Like, it really looks like the Hulk is just commanding this whale army to destroy a boat. And it's got that sea captain's only connection back to us. Like, it's real nice. It really is. Honestly, the one thing that kind of mars the cover to me other than the uh, Toys R Us banner at the top, is that after it says The Defenders, and then it says under it, Hulk, Prince of Wales. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. There's a little caption apologizing for the name. I was going to ask you about that. Was there, as far as you recall, in the early 80s, like a 
show about the Prince of Wales that was a real dud? Or they just thought maybe people wouldn't like the pun? I don't get it. I think it's apologizing for the pun, and it pisses me off because I think it's a fun pun, and it is what happens in the issue. But yeah, there's a little caption under the title that says, don't let this title fool you. It's a blockbuster. And that gets kind of highlighted because the last issue we were told in the next issue, we'll see the Hulk, Prince of Wales, but like Mm W-H-A-L-E-S. And then on the cover, it says that. And then when you open it up, it's called Lord of the Wales. And I'm like, come on, the title is sitting right there and you put it on the cover and you said you were going to call it this. It makes me wonder if like Jim Shooter is the person I'm going to blame for this. If as editor-in-chief, he was just like, no, that's too silly a title. So we're, we're changing it. I know the cover's already printed, but we, we need to be serious in this book. And I don't like that, because I think it needs a dumb, goofy pun for a title, because this is fundamentally a dumb, goofy issue, and that was everything that I liked about it. Yeah, it was one of the most quintessentially 80s issues like just the whole theme of it like the three things to me that i remember about the 80s there's russians are bad Mm -hmm. save the whales Mm -hmm. and then you know like corporate greed yeah and it hits all of those buttons hard Mm -hmm. but it does it in you were saying it's a quintessentially 80s comic and i started to object but you're totally right in terms of its themes but in how weird and goofy and unapologetic about the fact that it doesn't really make sense it is it reads very much like a silver age comic book Mm -hmm. yeah much like the uh russian whaling captain said no shame (laughs) (laughs) i loved the russian whaling captain i mean don't get me wrong he was a real piece of shit hey but he likes america (laughs) at the very end total 180 on the character i love the dynamic between him and vasily Uh They think I am traitor because I speak up. <laughs> uh, Corey, as ever, your accent work is flawless. I well, thank you. <laughs> when I heard that, I totally believed that Vasily was going to get Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> well, that's, you know, pretty much my main frame of reference <laughs> for my accent work is Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Vasily was such a fun character. And yeah, I loved the dynamic that, like, he's the sassy totally insubordinate officer on a Russian whaling ship, and he thinks whaling is dumb and doesn't want to do it. I love how he throws the captain under the bus. I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like the Hulk gets up there and, and everybody in Val, and they're just like, hey, this is bullshit. And the captain, and then uh, Vasily's like, yeah, he totally hates whales. And the captain's like, no, I don't. Well, okay, yes, I do hate whales. And that is just what I want to do. And it's like, at first seems like they are going so over the top to make the captain a cartoonishly villainous character. And then they give him that 180 at the end where he's like, "Ah, I guess whales aren't so bad. And also, I'm moving to America. Mm. It's like, okay, sure. You went from I kill whales heroically for mother russia to whales are my friends and i'm moving to america so fast and i didn't care it was fine Mm -hmm. his story though about why he hates whales like it's so dumb that's that typical twisted logic thing right like i stuck my hand in a beehive (laughs) and i got stung now i hate bees yeah 
because he was already out there murdering whales. I know that sounds harsh in terms of describing whaling. I don't know if there's any whaling apologists out there who are mad at me about that. (laughs) But specifically the way it's framed in this issue is not only are whales sentient and probably are intellectual superiors, but also they have some kind of magic powers in this issue. Like, they're basically demigods. So whaling is not just murder, but like super murder. And it sets this guy up as, I just want to get out there. I don't care if we harvest them or eat them or anything. I just want to kill whales because I used to go whaling to kill whales. And then one of the whales resisted being murdered and some people got hurt. So now I know that whales are evil. Fuck you, dude. Yep. Not cool captain whose name we never learn i know my thinking is they came up with one russian name and they were just like i don't know that's all we fucking got we've already got like six guys in the comics named ivan last time we tried to come up with a russian last name we ended up with just rasputin because that's colossus's last name which i always thought that was funny that it's like oh i need a russian last name uh rasputin sure Rocky and Bullwinkle already got Boris and Natasha, so... <laughs> yeah, can, can we just go with Badenov? No. <laughs> Damn it. Use that already. No name it is. Speaking of names that they couldn't use because of copyright reasons, I was totally floored to see somebody mixing up Nighthawk and Nightwing in this issue. Yeah, props to Ms. Tolliver, the journalist, for getting that zinger in on, um, on Kyle. A confusing zinger, though, because at this point, the name Nightwing would have been a really, like, DC Comics lore deep cut, because they hadn't premiered the Dick Grayson Nightwing yet. Oh, really? No, at this point, Nightwing had only existed as a character that Superman dressed up as once or twice when he went inside the bottle city of Kandor and didn't have any superpowers, and it was his riff on Batman was a dude named Nightwing. Wow. I guess because I've been reading the newer Teen Titans, you know, at the same time as this. I just, in my head, they're contemporaries. But you're right. That's totally out of whack. Yeah, this would have been good, like, five or six years before the premiere of the Dick Grayson Nightwing. So, I mean, maybe it was like a deep cut dig at Nighthawk's origin as a Batman ripoff that he gets confused with Superman's Batman ripoff, but either way, it was really jarring to see that like, wait, what? I'm not the only person who mixes those names up? I know. I had to read it a couple times. So let's get back to how not just intelligent, but super intelligent whales are in this comic book. Was that like an 80s trope? I feel like maybe it kind of was. Gosh, all I really remember about that is like the Greenpeace boats trying to stop the whaling boats. Right. And like buttons on jean jackets. I don't remember if there was stuff in the popular culture about whales may be smarter than we think. I'd certainly remember that from dolphins with all the Douglas Adams stuff, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't know about whales. See, I'm just going by this and Star Trek (laughs) 4. I was going to give you like 10 minutes to get to Star Trek 4. <laughs> oh, I don't need that much time. I know. This is even faster than I thought. 
But how could I not? It's about whales being super intelligent. And like the whole thing of that was that they're space travelers who are going to blow up the planet if we can't figure out time travel or something. But then you also have in this, like, yes, the whale that Hulk sassed on the beach and then threw back into the water and saved eventually is able to find him in the middle of the ocean, recognize that this is Bruce Banner, and he can turn into the Hulk, something that I think most humans don't know at this point in the comics, although I get confused about the timeline on that. It seems like it's more or less general knowledge, I guess. But still, to recognize Bruce Banner as the Hulk who he had encountered before, get him off of the boat, lure him into the water, take him to a situation that will make him upset so that he will turn into the Hulk and then direct the Hulk to attack the people that are killing whales. That is a hell of a fucking scheme. That is like some the sharks in deep blue sea level intelligence. Mm-hmm. Do you think that somebody was experimenting with anti-Alzheimer's drugs and accidentally <laughs> dumped it out of it on the whale pod? It's possible. I mean, the whales, like the sharks in Deep Blue Sea, are very, very large. So this could be potentially, and given Ed Hannigan's politics, wouldn't surprise me that much if at some point this story turned into a anti-Alzheimer's <laughs> analogy. <laughs> that much like in Deep Blue Sea and Planet, the remake of Planet of the Apes, if you try to cure Alzheimer's, things will go terribly horrible for the planet. Yeah, I know it's going to sound funny, but <laughs> my enjoyment uh, due to the difficulty with my suspension of disbelief about how did that whale know where Bruce Banner was? <laughs> that was the part, for whatever reason, that I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Ocean's such a big place. How does he know Banner's on that boat? Let alone how did he know Banner's the Hulk and all of that? Yet, whales have mystical powers, which honestly is a thing that is a little bit of a problem for me in this book and with the trope of whales. Like, yes, they are very intelligent creatures. That's not necessarily why we shouldn't hunt them to extinction. You know, like, they don't need to be these mystical creatures in order for that to be wrong. There's other animals that are maybe kind of dumb and ugly that we also shouldn't hunt to extinction. Well, I think that, you know, even now, the idea that meat is a social construction and what's meat in some places is not in others is hard for people to wrap their brains around. And it certainly was even more, more so in the 80s, right? So other than, you know, it's horrific to watch when you see these whales getting killed, like the movement needed something else to galvanize it in people's minds. Yeah, to not just humanize these creatures, but to superhumanize them in a way. Mm -hmm. I get that. Definitely worked on me as a kid. I believe I had one of those Save the Whales buttons on my denim jacket or some equivalent to that. Mm -hmm. Would have been funny if they had tried to make the propaganda go sort of the other way. That Like, <laughs> dude, we can't mess with these guys or they're just going to come back and get us so bad. <laughs> Maybe that was what they were trying for with Star Trek 4. Uh-huh. Kind of like the shark thing, where I was like, I remember being in the ocean a while ago, and uh, I was just sort of like enjoying myself and floating around, and then had this thought of like, when I was a kid, I ate the shark burger. You did? <laughs> yeah, they had them at, uh, at this place in Durham. Like, you could get these like shark filet sandwiches or something. Really? Mm-hmm. 
I thought shark was like you had to do all kinds of shit to it to make it edible. Yeah, I don't know. It might have been swordfish or something, but I, I remember thinking, <laughs> like, when I was, maybe my dad just said it was a shark, and I thought that was cool. I don't remember. But I remember floating in the ocean as an adult <laughs> and being like, oh, man, I ate shark that one time. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> I should get out of here. They're going to come get me. Yeah, and tough but fair. Mm-hmm. Um, There was an interview with Jack Kirby that I read a while ago that he was talking about when they were sending signals and capsules and things into space they asked him what he wanted to have recorded on that and he drew like some pictures of some superheroes i think to be sent into space and his thinking was like well if we encounter an alien species yeah we can send messages of peace and stuff but if they read like one of my comic books and think that maybe we have superpowers that might keep them away so okay let's do that (laughs) oh my gosh wow I was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? So yeah, for the most part, this issue really is filler that doesn't connect to other storylines. And I almost wish that is all that it was, because I I would like more attention paid to the weird, dumb, the Hulk and the whales storyline, and maybe not divide our attention between that and Nighthawk getting his groove back. But there was some interesting stuff that happened with that. What did you think of the Nighthawk subplot? Uh, the subplot thing with him basically getting okayed to Nighthawk again, and but also learning he's going to have to spend a lot of time in court. Yeah, and, you know, saving a 747 from terrorists. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it. Like, I was filled with self-righteous annoyance that Nighthawk was showboating for a bunch of women working in an office building and then accidentally flew into an airplane. (laughs) It's it's like, oh my god, what an asshole. That was pretty funny, and especially that he was pissed at the airplane. And then he immediately blames the airplane, right? And I was like, ah, typical Kyle. But then we find out that actually the pilots are trying to, like, fly low and get his attention because they're being hijacked, and he jumps in and rescues everybody, and, you know, perhaps questionable understanding of the way cabin pressurization works and safety and all that, but At the end of the day, you know, good job. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I did kind of enjoy it. I was also pissed at him for doing his thing where he was showboating for the office workers after reprimanding Patsy for flirting with the construction workers and endangering them that way. Like, definitely seemed like a double standard. That was Val. What? Wasn't that Val who was like whispering to Patsy to stop flirting? Let me take a look. Yeah, because he's on the phone with the lawyer, and Patsy's, like, waving to the workers outside of the window. Oh, you're right. That is Valkyrie. Never mind. I guess I owe Kyle an apology? (laughs) And furthermore, he knows the name of the guy that falls off the the ledge because he's flirting with Patsy when he (laughs) rescues him. And I was like, what? He knows the name of one of his employees? That is unbelievable. Yeah, I hadn't even noticed that. I guess my brain just couldn't handle that. Grimsby, that pig lug. <laughs> oh, Grimsby. Grimsby was a, was pretty dumb. Patsy, you're so pretty. Oh, no, I'm falling. <laughs> oh, jeez. Grimsby, you've done it again. He's on report, though, so that's cool. Yeah. Did people used to say that you're on report? Like, to mean you're in trouble? I don't know. 
it seems oddly phrased to me, but I have never known how anything has worked inside a corporation, so maybe? Hmm. I remember at one point trying to write a comedy sketch and realizing that, oh, so I need this guy to say he needs to go do something, but I don't know a single thing that you do in an office. (laughs) So, uh, do you file things? Is that still a thing that you do? I have no idea. So maybe people say they're on report, too. Could be. I felt bad for the gang that they lost their hover car. Oh, I know. I hope they get it back. I don't see how they can. Like, they spent the whole first part of the comic getting their hover car fixed. They take it on one trip, and then their hover car ends up at the bottom of the ocean because the Hulk smashes it. Oh, that's easy. They ask the whale. Oh, maybe. To get Hulk to ask the whale. I don't know that the Hulk can ask the whale. I mean, the whale can find him, but does he even have the whale's number? Maybe the whale gave him a fake phone number. Hulk was kind of a dick the first time they met. I mean, things went better this time, but I still think it's going to be a bit before the whale is up for getting a late night text message from the Hulk that says, Hey, you up? Nah, that's going to be a challenge. So yeah, mostly I hope they get their hover car back because it's nice to have a hover car. However, I do kind of wonder if that hover car is in fact planey the anthropomorphic plane who condescendingly reminds you to brush your teeth from a few issues ago. I'm pretty sure it is. Oh my god, it looks like Planey. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I want them to have a hover car, but at the same time, I do not mourn the death of Planey. Yeah, I'll brush my teeth on my own, thank you very much. Yeah, I don't need your fucking smug ass being like, I'm Planey, you gotta brush up and down. <laughs> Is Planey an old prospector? I think he is now. I forgot before. I get what did he sound like? The Great Kazoo? Was, was he like a mm, you have to brush your teeth, dum dum? I think he was a prospector, actually. I don't I don't quite recall. I don't remember what I did. Probably he's a prospector. Prospectors are very concerned with dental care. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a uh startling indictment of the healthcare industry in this issue. That doctors are sexist? Not just sexist, but that they don't like EMTs. Mm. The doctor definitely doesn't come off great. He is super condescending and shitty to the EMT. The EMT woman, it sets her up. She gets a first and last name. So maybe she's going to be a recurring character. It's mm. Leslie All. A-U-L-L. But both her and the doctor share the opinion that Patsy's dying mom seems like a real piece of shit. And that's mostly what they talk about. She does sound like a jerk. Yeah. I mean, at least from the perspective of a caretaker. And it also seems like she was a jerk from the perspective of Patsy, the only person who seems kindly disposed towards this woman is Buzz. Patsy's abusive ex-husband, so doesn't particularly speak well to her character. Mm-hmm. But still, it was jarring to hear like the doctor and nurse be like, well, she was a real jerk trying to check herself out of here. I told her not to, or she'd be, end up dead. And the EMT's like, yeah, what do you mean you just you warned her not to? 
You know she's a jerk and is going to make wrong decisions all the time. Just really, you got to go the extra mile to to make a dying elderly woman seem unsympathetic. And this issue kind of did do the trick with that. But the way they're setting it up, I think, has the unintended consequence of making the caretakers seem unsympathetic as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was a weird, like, after the doctor finishes... I mean, to a degree, he's got a point, right? He's like, you can't keep people against their will. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and then he kind of yells at the EMT operator and says, I suggest you stick to your ambulance and leave healthcare to the experts, to which her reply is, oh! It is a weird response. I tried to read it with as much, like, indignation as possible, (laughs) and I don't know, it just doesn't really work. It seems like that is underselling what an asshole that dude is. (laughs) Oh? Oh. Oh! Like, she's just so surprised. I guess I should! (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, then there's a weird scene with the nurses and the doctor giving her a ton of shots, and looks like that one nurse is maybe doing some kind of a model-building kit, but that's probably supposed to be her preparing shots. Mm -hmm. It's like a bunch of drugs. The scene right after that is, I mean, we've talked about, like, the whole whaling thing in this, But it was really jarring to see the Russian whaling crew just walking around on a partially flayed whale, especially after we've established their sentience and perhaps magical nature. That is gruesome. Yeah, it made me think, too, of like, you know, not only is it bad for the whales, but what a job, too. Like, if that's your job to, like, wade around in gore. Yeah. Ugh. Did you ever go to Mystic Seaport when you were a kid? Mm, doesn't ring a bell. It's this, like a Plymouth Plantation style theme town that was in Mystic, Connecticut. But instead of Pilgrim Times, it was like a weird historic fun park for kids based on the whaling industry. But like old timey whaling. Oh, wow. Like try different kinds of blubber. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was active whaling. It was just like, hey, this is what stuff was like in Moby Dick times or whatever. Crews would go out from here. I I think it was an old whaling town. But in retrospect, that is a weird thing to try to involve kids in. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That like nautical history stuff was pretty fascinating to me as a little guy. I remember going to... What was that? Strawberry Bank, where they held old Ironsides, the boat, like yeah. one of the first armored armored ships, and all that stuff was pretty fascinating. But yeah, the whaling thing, I think, would have freaked me out. I remember reading about eating whale fat and just like like feeling my stomach turn, <laughs> like the idea of like eating a big piece of fat. Yeah, I I don't feel like eating blubber. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's like a like lardo, like cured fat where you put it on some toast that's pretty good maybe but you sound like you're angling to get yourself double murdered between your shark burgers and now you want to have like a blubber monte cristo or whatever (laughs) (laughs) i just can't go near the ocean again i'm gonna top it off with some fried calamari (laughs) Oof! speaking of which that giant squid gets rough treatment yeah yeah, he does. He gets he gets a real splug of a time. Jeez. Val, this is what she decides to break her only use the flat of my sword rule on. Just slicing up a giant squid. Mm-hmm. 
which giant squids are probably a lot more prevalent in the Marvel universe than they are in our universe. Because at this point, there had still been no confirmed sighting in our world of a giant squid, right? Has there been a confirmed sighting? I think there was just like five years ago or something. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah, no, they're real. I don't like that. Sorry, Corey. Yeah, enjoy your fucking calamari. <laughs> You're going to get triple murdered next time you Jeez. go to the ocean. Man, this I don't eat cephalopods thing is going to pay off for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh. Yeah, you didn't hear about that. It was like five years ago they had the first confirmed sighting. It was after some scientists had tried to cure Alzheimer's by experimenting <laughs> on some regular sized squids. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They decided they would just make them huge and evil for some reason. Oh, sure. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I gotta say, I felt pretty bad for the giant squid. It looks like she lops off a tentacle. I, the tentacle must have been in front of the squid's face, but it makes it look like the squid is going, ooh. <laughs> I know. It took me a minute. I was like, that is the goofiest monster I've ever seen. Oh, wait, no, that's just his severed tentacle, not his face. Yeah, but Val goes ham on that thing. She lops off like three of his tentacles and you just see the severed chunks of them there. Yeah, and, and to no avail, really. I mean, other than it causing the entire boat to, or one of the boats to get capsized. The hero mm -hmm. of the day, as I see it, is, is the drunken ship's cook who thinks to bring nothing with them on their boat <laughs> except all of the vodka that was in the kitchen. Yeah, well, and Vasily and his quick thinking, making a ton of Molotov cocktails and starts launching those. But yeah, no, I love the. I'm going to assume it's the cook, too, who is horrified that Vasily is taking it and says, that's my last case of vodka. <laughs> so you don't know how long we're going to be at sea. We need that. <laughs> how many cases of vodka did he bring with him? Yeah. I'm assuming that was all of his luggage. Yeah, I know. This book is really just like, well, okay. <laughs> Russians are bad. <laughs> and drunk. No, no, they're not totally bad. Vasily's a decent guy. Yeah, that, that was true. That's true. Because they gave him the opportunity to, to come be an American. And he's like, hey, even though I have opinions, I'm a proud Russian. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the most even-handed <laughs> thing in this whole comic. Yeah, they really give him the crowd at the end of Rocky Four treatment. And we see even the Russians that are evil are easily redeemable as soon as they embrace our American ways mm -hmm. and decide not to kill whales anymore. I think the only really evil Russian we encounter in this book who doesn't get redeemed is the one sailor who sees everybody having a conversation and thinks to himself, I don't know what's happening, but I've got this exploding harpoon. <laughs> I'm going to shoot it at the Hulk. Oh, so dumb. And that is really when everything goes haywire. Yeah. You know, th that is one thing. So in sharp contrast to that, I think for the first time that I can recall, there's a, a military authority figure that knows how to deal with the Hulk in that you just don't attack him. And that's this uh, Coast Guard captain. Where, like, his subordinate's like, oh, shit, the Hulk's wanted. What do we do? And he's like, dude, don't do anything. We're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Just, like, let him be. Yeah, no shit. That is the only way to deal with the Hulk. But, yeah, the Russian sailor who has the opposite idea, he is treated as, like, this shadowy character where you see his thought bubble. And 
I was really convinced that he was going to turn out to be like a recurring character. Like maybe he's a member of mutant force who's there, or it's one of the mandrills agents or something, because all of the other storylines that had been leading up to this issue, even that were established in the very last issue got dropped for this one. Like they brought back Jack Norris last issue and he was going to go tell the defenders what's up. And he's nowhere to be found in this. And Mutant Force is reintroduced as bad guys. And Patsy's ex-husband. Like, all of the setup work was done in the last issue. And then there's none of it. Except for Daredevil's here for some reason? Because I guess there's only one lawyer in the Marvel Universe? Well, he's an expert on hero law. (laughs) He is also an expert on being terrible at protecting his secret identity. Like, he must feel a real affinity for Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're buddies. Because, yeah, Matt Murdock is like, and I think you'll find that Nighthawk is about to fly in through the window right now. And Kyle's lawyer's like, how could you, a blind man, know that? And Daredevil's like, oh, um, because I'm an expert in superheroes and I know how they think. I think he should have just said, um, A whale told me. (laughs) (laughs) Missed opportunity, Murdoch. Mm -hmm. I think that is an excuse he could probably use for most of his daredeviling shit. It's just like, oh, um, I'm friends with some whales, and they just tell me stuff. That would accomplish people thinking he was not playing with a full deck, or? No, I mean, I think they would just believe him. (laughs) Oh, Because whales, you know, they get their songs and they can apparently find anybody in the world, anywhere in the world, immediately and recognize whether or not they are in their superhero identity or not and come up with complicated schemes. Mm -hmm. And this was the 80s when I guess all that was common knowledge. Yeah, everybody knew that. Uh Between this one comic book and Star Trek IV, IV, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the, the Voyage Home. And, I don't know, I feel like there were a couple of Barba Papa books where whales did some pretty dope shit. Oh, all right. Well, okay, fair enough. Between the three of that, that is what Matt Murdock should have said. Yeah. Obviously. Anyway, you ready to get into the minutia? Sure. Okay, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you surprised me. I know. I did a little switcheroo. But yeah, thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Oh, man. Maybe the most challenging, uh, which was best and worst. Okay. In this issue, who did you have as your best defender? And who did you have as your worst offender? Uh, so for best, I was going to go with Hulk for saving the whales and Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. But I think to switch it up and to recognize some positive traits and hopefully reinforce them, I'm going to go with Kyle. He saved Grimsby and he knew his name, which mm-hmm. I thought was huge because he doesn't even know what's going on in his business, you know? Yeah. And that's being charitable. And he also saved a whole plane full of people. Yeah. No, I had... Kyle as probably my choice. I did want to float an idea by you. Do you think that Vasily 
can count as a best defender. Uh, well, I mean, technically, no, <laughs> because he's not a defender. What? We've been over the defender's rules. It's any superhero who helps them is a de facto defender because they're a non-team. A Molotov cocktail toss does not a superhero make. Well, it's a gadget. He could be a gadget <laughs> hero. His one gadget happens to be Molotov cocktails. Uh-huh. But okay, now nah, I I think you're probably right. That is a bit of a stretch. What would his name be? Cocktail. <laughs> I mean, uh, Molotov would be a little too on the nose, right? Right. I think he'd probably be like Fire Fist or oh, Tosser. Uh, oh wait, no, that won't play well in <laughs> England. <laughs> I think his name would be Booze Fire. <laughs> Booze Fire. Booze Fire is not a bad superhero name. <laughs> it would be unique. But I see what you're saying. I think you're probably right that having access to and a willingness to dispense Molotov cocktails isn't necessarily a superhero power per se. So, yeah, I'm with you. I I think I'm going to go with Kyle. All right. A rare good job, Kyle. Two Kyles. Wow. I mean, maybe with the reintroduction of Jack Norris. I don't know, like maybe Jack Norris will fill out the entitled dipshit role and Kyle will elevate his game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's hope. Didn't work out that way last time, but we'll see. Conversely, who did you have as your worst offender? This one was tough because I didn't really want to pick anybody because nobody, as far as I read it, did like a, a terrible job. So I wound up just kind of tallying up, I guess, the good deeds and the the troubles. Mm-hmm. And by that math, I came up with Val in the worst category because despite her general reticence to use the sharp edge of her sword, she did decide to use it this time. And the result was which basically she got drowned almost and Hulk had to go find her at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, I had Val for a couple of reasons. That was one of them, her slicing up the giant squid, which is, you know, also presumably an endangered animal. We also have, as she is drowning, she makes a point of saying, no, my armor and my sword dragging me down, as though that is something she has no control over. She just has to put the sword back. Yeah, if she puts the sword back in its scabbard, she goes back to wearing civilian clothes and her sword isn't there. Or, worst case scenario, that's too much work, you just drop the sword. Like... If the this sword that I'm holding on to is dragging me to the ocean floor. Yeah, it's a nice sword, but I'm sure Steve has some other bric-a-brac lying around in his sanctum sanctimonious that he can give you. He was just using that thing as a paperweight for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't occur to her that she has the power to save herself in that situation is one reason. It is not the only reason. In the opening pages of the book, we see... One of the construction workers go over to Valkyrie and say, here's your hard hat, and she never puts it on. So for not wearing a hard hat in a construction site, I know that she's a superhero, but she's setting a terrible example, and it is still dangerous. Like, if she gets hit on the head with a steel girder, she's gonna be out for a bit and probably get a concussion. She's setting a terrible example. There is proper safety equipment available and she is not making use of the protective 
gear that she is afforded. Yeah, good call. And Patsy, by comparison, does. Yeah, Patsy wears her hard hat. Looks cute on her. Even Kyle puts on a hard hat. Although, the one knock against him in this issue is that he does take his hard hat off before doing the most dangerous thing. Yeah. I mean, he does a good job with the acrobatics, having, like, Val launch him into the air, but then he specifically takes his hard hat off before launching himself into the air. Seems like a questionable choice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I also had Valkyrie as mine, so we are in agreement on our best and worst. Now, Corey, I have a question I have to ask you. Mm -hmm. Behold or be gone? But before we get to the behold or be gone, got a little quiz I'm going to give you. Oh, okay. So, as we have discussed, the title of this issue is Prince of Wales. Or it should be. Prince of Wales is one of the many titles that is enjoyed by Prince Charles. But he's got a lot of them. You know who else has held a lot of titles? The fictional boxers appearing in the Rocky franchise of movies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list of titles, and you tell me whether they are a title held by Prince Charles or the nickname of a boxer in a Rocky film. Um, like a Rocky film nickname, like in my head, or actual? Actual nicknames used in the Rocky films for the boxers. Oh, wow. Okay, that sounds fun. Let's do it. Okay, so just say Prince Charles or Rocky film. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, Earl of Carrick. Um, Prince Charles. His Royal Highness. Well, I could go either way, but I'm going to say Prince Charles. Count of Monte Fisto. <laughs> that sounds rocky to me. Yes, that is Apollo Creed, Duke of Cornwall. Uh, Cornwall. Uh, Charles. Prince of Punch. Mm, rocky. Lord of the Isles. Charles. Southside Slugger. <laughs> rocky. Yes, that is the nickname of Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. Knight of the Thistle. Like with a K, right? Mm-hmm. Charles. The one and only. Oh, that sounds rocky. Mm-hmm. That is once again Apollo Creed. Earl of Chester. Charles. The Master of Disaster. Um, Rocky. The line. The line? The line. Like a line in a the sand open to interpretation but that is the spelling um i don't know i'm gonna go with charles no that is in fact mason the line dixon from rocky balboa oh how did i not get that duke of rothsey i'm gonna stick with charles on that one the siberian bull <laughs> that's uh is that ivan drago it is the Prince and Great Stuart of Scotland. I don't know how it works over there, but I'm going to go with Charles, I guess. The King of Sting. Well, he's not king. So, uh, Rocky. Knight of the Garter. Garter? Mm-hmm. Like the snake or those things that holds up tights? Mm-hmm. 
Seems like a weird thing to be a knight of. Um, but that sounds like a British royalty. Prince of Wales. Oh, that's that's Charles. Siberian Express. Uh, Rocky. Clone Ranger. Rocky. Death from Above. Uh, Rocky. Privy Counselor. <laughs> oh, Charles. Baron of Renfrew. That sounds pretty Charlesy. Dancing Destroyer. Rocky. Companion of the Queen's Service Order. Mm, Charles. The Italian Stallion. Ah, that's Rocky. Knight of the Order of Australia. Wow, that is a lot of titles. That's Charles. And Pride of Philadelphia. And that is Rocky. Okay. You did pretty well on that. I think you only got one wrong, but uh, well done. It was a very difficult test, but but I think you did okay on it. Why, thank you. So, behold or be gone, switching up at least one of those. Is there a nickname of a boxer from a Rocky film that you think would make a good title for Charles to hold? And is there one of the titles held by Charles that you think would make a good nickname for a Rocky boxer well i like the king of sting for charles because you know if he were one day to be king and sting as a british citizen it would be accurate oh that's true i hadn't thought of that i thought perhaps you were suggesting that once he ascends to the throne that he could maybe start working in some kind of a bee motif which i think would also be a good move yeah bees are cool and then uh, the other way around, uh, a prince title for a Rocky character. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rocky's had to fight any um, anybody from Australia yet. No, so you think a good nickname for a boxer in a Rocky film would be Knight of the Order of Australia. <laughs> Sounds like he could be all fancy, you know, when he comes on all right. into the ring. So you think that Rocky should fight a stuck-up aristocratic upper crust australian yeah okay i was thinking if you just do a straight switch apollo creed had most of the really good nicknames on that list the master of disaster the count of Montefisto, the prince of punch the king of sting the dance and destroyer the one and only those are all pretty good but i think added to that list and what would fit right in with that list is the prince of wales Oh, like to wail on somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Conversely, I think that Prince Charles should have added to his list of titles Master of Disaster. I mean, it sounds cool, but also I think it is an acknowledgement of the fact that if he is in charge, nominally even as a figurehead of the British Empire, he should be forced to acknowledge that British colonialism was a fucking disaster mm. and has had a really horrible negative impact on the world. Much like Apollo Creed's fist have had a horrible negative effect on his opponents. So uh, <laughs> I think if you do a little switch there and when he ascends to the throne, Prince Charles is forced to acknowledge that he is indeed, as master of the British Isles, a master of a disaster. And conversely, Apollo Creed gets to call himself the Prince of Wales. 
because uh, he he just wails on dudes. I think that's a pretty good switch em up. Yeah, I'll give that a behold. Why not? All right, para beholds. Nice. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue? Man, there was a few good ones. We already referenced the noise it makes when you slice off a giant squid's arms, which is splug. Splug is pretty solid. The noise when you punch out a terrorist was surprisingly cute. Spock. <laughs> Spock was pretty good. I was fond of the noise it makes when a whale, with surgical precision, slaps Bruce Banner into the water. It makes the noise splapow. And that was actually at the top of my list. Splapow. Splapow was good. Also, the noise of the hull of a 747 being ruptured is baracoom, which was pretty fun. But yeah, I think I got to give it to the splapow. Although splug is definitely up there. There was one that I read incorrectly and then was disappointed that it wasn't that. And it was the noise of the Hulk being shot in the back with an exploding harpoon. And I thought it was making the noise shroom (laughs) as he flies towards the camera. What noise was it actually? The actual noise was scroom with a K, but the K looked kind of like an H. Still doesn't make a ton of sense. There was another noise as part of that exchange that I noticed, which was uh, when he then smashes the deck, it makes the noise crip (laughs) with a K and two I's and two P's. Creep. And I was like, huh, okay, that's a weird smashing noise. Mm -hmm. Well, Corey, let's get into it. Time for our weekly Battle of the Band names. Last week, in our Twitter poll, Polychromatic Rainbow of Descent absolutely destroyed Barely Broken. It's not unsurprising. Polychromatic Rainbow of Descent is a real juggernaut in this Battle of the Band names. But were you able to find anything in this comic book that you feel good about putting up against Polychromatic Rainbow of Descent? Man, it's going to be challenging to unseat that one, but uh, there was one that I thought was pretty fun. Not to be confused with the Mexican band Molotov, but I liked the possible band name Comrade Molotov's Famous Cocktail. I liked that one too. I was worried it might be a little bit wordy, but yeah, Comrade Molotov's Famous Cocktail is pretty good. Honestly, the best name for a band in this issue I think is probably Prince of Wales with W-H-A-L-E-S. But I looked it up and there is actually a band called that and a DJ called that. What? Spelled that way? Yep. So that's off the table. However, there's still some pretty good stuff in here. The the three that I came up with, we got Get the Squid Drunk. Seems (laughs) like it might be a pretty fun band. (laughs) I think I saw them open for Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah. I mean, they they posed for the album cover, at least. (laughs) I also thought, along kind of similar lines, May the Sea Smite You sounds like a pretty good band name. Mm, Yeah, nice. What kind of of music do you think May the Sea Smite You would make? Like, I see them being kind of like a Decemberist-style band. With that one, I think I'm going to go with, like, the the post-rock theme that we had from from the last one. I see them making, like, really kind of guitar-heavy, low on the the vocals music, kind of like Mogwai. 
or Russian circles, that sort of thing. I can see that. Uh, And then the third one, I think, is kind of kind of a shoegazery band. Occupants of the beleaguered lifeboat. (laughs) Oh, man. May they never make it out of open mics. (laughs) I I hope not, but it's still a heck of a name. Of those, what are you thinking? Oh, gosh. So we had... Comrade Molotov's famous cocktail. Mm -hmm. May the sea smite you. Uh Uh-huh. Get the squid drunk. And occupants of the beleaguered lifeboat. Sheesh. Let's go with um, Get the Squid Drunk. Why not? Okay. I feel like they might be a ska band. Is this our first ska band? Oh, it could be a ska band. Yeah. Okay, so Get the Squid Drunk it is. We'll put that up on the Twitter poll and see if they can slug it out with Polychromatic Rainbow of Descent. Nice. Going to be tough to beat that one. Maybe they do all like ska covers of Sea Shanties. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I would be so surprised if there wasn't a band already that that's their gimmick. Yeah, I think they play with real big fish. <laughs> <laughs> I was never entirely clear on what the Aquabats were. Is that their thing? Oh, I don't know. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you feel were most worthy of note? Yeah, I think we we got to start with uh, young Vasily, the um, outspoken Throw the captain under the bus. Proud Russian. Yes, he is quite a Slavic fashion plate, is he not? He's got a, what I think of as like a one of those French shirts with the stripes. Oh, sure, sure. Like a, like a mime or a uh, Russian sailor. And um, that's, that's a Russian sailor shirt? My friend who I used to make fun of for dressing like a Russian sailor used to wear a shirt like that. Oh, well, that, is, <laughs> that settles it then kind of circular logic on my part but yeah fair enough he's got a cap like uh what i think i remember being like seen in catalogs as a greek fisherman's cap but it's like Mm -hmm. a fisherman's hat it's good look yeah and he's got like a white button down shirt unbuttoned to the chest over the stripy shirt yep so he understands the importance of layering Mm -hmm. another character who has some fun layers going on is construction site kyle yeah green on green on black yeah so i think he probably started with a three-piece suit that was a bright green pants and jacket and then a lime green vest over a black shirt that he has unbuttoned to like mid chest but we never see the blazer for it so it's just the vest and the pants and the black shirt it's not a bad look, but it is a confusing one. I kept trying to figure out, it's like, wait, is that a sweater vest? Then how would he get the deep V going over the sweater? I guess it must be a vest or waistcoat, but it, it's not a bad look. But like I said, it was one that kind of confused me. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he had just gotten his chest waxed. and <laughs> He really wanted to show that off. Yeah, it is smooth. He, he doesn't have that bird nest going on there. Mm-mm. So I, th- I think those are the main ones. I also do kind of like Bruce Banner's look. He has his signature purple pants, but over them he has kind of a nice yellow sweater. I think it's a nice look. Yeah, I had that as well. He rounds it out with some maybe some Ray-Bans. Uh, the sweater's got cuffs on the collar, the waist, and the sleeves. And then a zipper down the front, almost like a tracksuit top. So pretty good. Yeah, I think it's a solid look. 
What was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if it were not made out of steel? So assuming that the uh, the translation from the original Russian is good, I had the uh, Sea Captain's Curse, which was part of one of the band name suggestions. As Hulk is departing the burning uh, whaling vessel, you hear the captain say, Then go, monster! May the sea smite you and the sky deny you. May you drown and become food for the fishes. My ship, my life is ruined. I curse you for all eternity. And he's shaking his fist at the sky. That is some pretty solid cursing. I appreciate that. I liked that speech a lot. I think maybe my favorite words in this come from what we assume is the drunken cook when he says, Vasily, no! That's my last case of vodka. (laughs) Uh, That cracked me up when I saw it. But I think the piece of dialogue that cracked me up the most in this issue is the second to last page. You see Hulk and Valkyrie riding a whale and Patsy exclaims, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, it's a whale! And the Hulk! And Val? (laughs) And I'm assuming either Vasily or the cook just has a one-word response, but it's, da, with just a period. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, even not speaking Russian, you can read the, like, you know, no shit, Sherlock tone. The extent to which he undersells that, it's like, yeah, it's the fucking Hulk riding a whale with Valkyrie, obviously. <laughs> it made me wonder if da is not only Russian for affirmative, but an alternate spelling, perhaps, of duh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the extent to which the drunken cook, or possibly Vasily, is underwhelmed by the arrival of the Hulk riding a whale just really cracked me up. Yeah, same here. And um, if we're ready, that's actually a perfect segue to talk about the artwork in this book. Oh, absolutely. What was your favorite panel in this issue? Well my friend you just described it like it is amazing it's got the ocean it's got a whale sea in the surf surprised patsy uh hulk and val sitting on top of a whale that's pretty amazing that is really good that was up there for me i think even if we're just going with panels of valkyrie and the hulk riding a whale though The next panel is my favorite, because in that one, you get the whale giving the captain some serious side-eye. It is hilarious. Yeah, I had made note of the whale's side-eye also. It's a really similar look to the one that that whale gave the Hulk in previous issues, when the Hulk was yelling about the fact that he's the strongest, where the whale's just looking at him like, you stupid motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, because in that panel, the sea captain is saying, what? Me? To be saved by the very monsters I hate? And you can you read a lot into that whale's expression. It's like, yeah, asshole. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the Hulk is pantomiming jerking off at it. <laughs> I was wondering why he was making that, that fist at that weird <laughs> angle. Yeah. I wonder if he does that every time he says puny men. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's probably my favorite panel. I liked that a lot. I also liked Kyle getting involved in a hit and run with an airplane. <laughs> Stupid airplane. <laughs> Just seeing him get biffed. 
<laughs> and the plane flies into him. That really, it just, it took me by surprise and it really cracked me up. And a couple of pages before that, when when Kyle puts on his Nighthawk outfit for the first time in a while, he's just gotten the good news from Matt Murdock and his other lawyer that he's cleared to be Nighthawk again. But in that first panel where he's wearing his Nighthawk outfit, it looks like he is out of control and bad at flying. Like, he's there next to Planey, the uh, anthropomorphic airplane that loves toothbrushing. But his body language in that panel reminds me of when Jack Norris's brain was sitting inside of his body Mm. and was trying to control it. Like, he looks out of control. And I thought it was kind of nice to show, yeah, he hasn't flown in a little while. He's bad at it. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty fun panel. So speaking of the Hulk, we both know that the Hulk rules, Corey. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? So the main one is just talk is cheap. You know, and this comes from when he's confronting the rushing whaling boat. And he's like, you know, basically, like, you guys will just say you're going to stop, and the second I leave, you're not going to stop. Yeah. So I'm going to smash your boat up. And then and then the second thing is, you know, just kind of like what we were talking about at the outset, sort of highlighting that unfairness of destroying things that can't fight back. Mm. But it's it's really all wrapped up in what, what I chose to encapsulate is talk is cheap. You know, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, see, I had the Hulk's rule being it's better to have too much of something than not enough. My stepdad, your dad Jim, is very fond of the expression measure twice, cut once, because once you don't have enough of something, then you're totally screwed. And I think that comes up in this issue with the vodka that the drunken cook brings on the sea voyage. They are lucky that they have too much vodka, and it's much better to have that than not enough. So I had the Hulk's rule being measure twice, drink twice. (laughs) Not bad. And that's the Hulk's rules. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I've got to ask you. Mm. In the year of our Lord, 1980, and the month of our Lord, October, what Wong doings? was Wong doing. Yeah. So Wong was uh, doing his best to try and make sure that Steve had invested smartly. So you probably remember in the 80s when uh, Jordash jeans really took off. Oh, sure. As being a popular thing, the ones with the little horse on the logo. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that was a company that started in New York by a, a couple of brothers. And they had had really good timing with hitting like the fashion jeans market and their business was starting to boom. They had a store in New York City and then the New York City blackout in 1977 happened and their store was among many of the businesses that were looted and burned and it looked like things were going to go poorly for them. But about a year after that, they got a pretty good insurance settlement and went about raising money to you know rebuild the brand and try and launch into this major business. And Steve thought that would be a great thing to invest in because a lot of people don't know this, but when he's at home, he's rocking a tight pair of Jordache jeans <laughs> around the house, shirtless. Obviously. So he invested a bunch of his portfolio into this Jordache company and came up with this idea along with the founding brothers that what you guys really need is a blimp. <laughs> 
And so he sent Wong to kind of take point on this. And so there was an attempt by the Jordash company to fly a, a blimp, uh, also known as a dirigible, as part of a promotional campaign for its genes. And the idea was that this would take off from New Jersey, about a half a mile from, ironically, the uh, the site of the 1937 Hindenburg disaster. Ooh. The idea was the, the dirigible would take off and it would land at a fashion show in Battery Park in New York City. However, what happened was after going about 600 feet, the blimp split a seam and started to deflate and had to make a crash landing. Oh. Fortunately, Wong was there and he was able to help use some of his mystic powers to um, make it a soft landing and, and nobody was hurt. Pilot James Boza got away with no injuries and everything wait, was wait, fine. Wait. The guy was named James Bozo? Boza, B-O-Z-A. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would have been a, a good name. So, you know, Wong trying to help look out for Steve and wound up making sure nobody got hurt in the great uh, Jordash blimp crash of 1980. Man, that had to be such terrible PR that it specifically crashed because it split a seam. <laughs> yep. Blimp shouldn't have been trying those high kicks. <laughs> and not without action genes, which Jordash did <laughs> not make. Oh, dear. Well, that was one thing that Wong was up to. Oddly, not the only thing he was up to that month that involved lighter-than-air travel. See, Wong and Steve had developed kind of a ritual where, at least once a month, they would wake up early on Saturday morning, get a big bowl of cereal, and partake of some strong Jamaican incense, and watch the cartoon shows for the kids. It was something they enjoyed. And on October 4th, they ended up watching the premiere of a show called Thundar the Barbarian. <laughs> now, in their altered and excitable state, they got pretty freaked out by Thundar. Thundar the Barbarian, coincidentally, was created by Steve Gerber, who we have uh, read some of his work in the pages of The Defenders. And the character design was done by Jack Kirby and Alex Toth. And the premise of the show is that it's a sword and sandal type barbarian show, but it takes place in a post-apocalyptic future where the planet has been ravaged by nuclear war. And this whole idea of nuclear nightmare post-apocalyptic wasteland really freaked Wong the fuck out. And so he just was not sleeping well for the entire rest of the month. Just you know, worried about nuclear war, worried about ending up in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And this was a particularly bad month to be worried about such things and to be extra frightened because it was October. And so by the time Halloween rolled around, Wong was just out of it. He hadn't been sleeping. He was just really freaked out and kind of losing his marbles about this. So he saw a hot air balloon that was about to take off. And he's like, you know, that sounds relaxing. I should go and just take a hot air balloon ride. That sounds nice. Um, he hops on the balloon, but then he starts looking down and he sees some trick-or-treaters. And he had completely forgotten that it was Halloween. So he's just like, ah, mutants! And he starts tossing sandbags over the side of this balloon, trying to hit the mutants. I don't think he ended up hitting any of them, but he lost all of the balloon's ballast. Which is why, on October 31st of 1980, a hot air balloon piloted by one Julian Knott ended up setting the altitude record of 16,806 meters. Because oh. Wong 
tried to throw all of the ballast overboard to smite the mutants that he thought were sneaking up on him because he had watched too much Thundar the Barbarian. And that is the Wong doings that Wong was doing in October of 1980. I think the takeaway there is clear. Like, just stay away from inflatable travel. Yeah. I thought you were going to say stay away from Thundar the Barbarian. I'm like, no, it's, it's a pretty fun show. Yeah, it's okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Corey. I had fun talking to you about this weird-ass nonsense issue. And uh, thanks for indulging me in my pop quiz. You did pretty well on it. Anytime. Well, we will be back next week to discuss some more new Teen Titans. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about one of, if not my absolute favorite issue of the Defenders, Defenders number 89. So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime... Happy whatever and a merry whatnot to all of you guys. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by reaching us at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up in other aspects of the internet on the, uh, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, I think, still. SeaCaptainsOnly.com, along with Vasily and The Captain. So, you know, you can reach us there. If you can't find us there, there's still another place you can look. That's deep inside your heart. We'll be there, decorating. Bringing in a tree, maybe, so that we can prank those ghosts out of your heart. <laughs> they won't know what hit them, but it'll be me. I'll be hitting ghosts in your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in there? Probably eating some Christmas cookies. Typical. I'm out here punching ghosts. You're just sitting there eating cookies. Hey, they're not going to consume themselves, my friend. Well, not with that attitude, they won't. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to contribute to the show monetarily, uh, you can hit us up at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast I co-host with my wife, Lisa, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. There's also a whole bunch of extra video reviews of classic comics I've done that are up there. This week, I'm doing some reviews of the Marvel Treasury Edition giant superhero holiday grab bags. Those have been a lot of fun to reread. So you can check all that stuff out if you donate to us on Patreon. But more importantly, from my perspective at least, it's a really nice way for you to let us know that you appreciate the work that we do and would like us to continue doing it. It really does mean a lot to me, and this year has really kind of kept me going. Yeah, I had primarily earned my income as a bartender, and that's kind of not a thing anymore. So being able to rely on the money you guys donate every month to the podcast has been really, really wonderful. And uh, I just want to make sure you guys know how much I appreciate it. If you would like to contribute to the show, if you would like to contribute to the show in a non-monetary manner, there's other ways you can do that. Just spread the word. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a friend you're trying to turn into an enemy or an enemy you're trying to turn into a friend. Tell the Prince of Wales, either Apollo Creed or Prince Charles. I'm sure between them, they can help spread the word. Or if you don't feel like doing those things, leave us a review wherever podcasts are left. Just uh, type in, tighten up the defense. Pretty good. Nice. So thanks for that. And 
yeah, have a great time. And I'm going to leave you with the guy who does our outro music is my friend Brad. He's a very talented recording artist who records under the name Walkin' Fuss. And he's done a couple of Christmas songs that I actually really, really like. Not always a huge fan of Christmas music, but yeah, Walkin' Fuss and Marcus Reynolds have put out a couple of Christmas songs, and so I think I'll play one of them for you guys. Other than that, if you're looking for good holiday music, I cannot highly recommend enough Backdoor Santa by Clarence Carter. It's the song that they sample in Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC, which is another of my favorite Christmas songs. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Check those things out. And if you can kick down some money to Walkin' Fuss and Marcus Reynolds, maybe buy a single of this. DDT for Christmas. Coming at you in your ear holes. Enjoy. Bye, guys. Bye. You can decorate the tree. Hang the stockings and sing in harmony That's not Christmas to me There's one more thing that I need Kids sitting on his knee Every station plays a yuletide symphony Still won't be Christmas to me Until I give you a DDT Christmas DDT I'm gonna give you a Christmas DDT Season slipping, been white from the start. I got a gift to give to warm up all those blackened hearts. From me to you, my aim is true, it's sitting on my sleeve. This quick reminder that it's better to give than receive. Don't get me wrong, don't want to throw the focus onto me. Cause I think this is something everyone you know should see. I got a sentimental feeling like the want for home. A present that'll leave your reeling hands upon your dome. It's something precious, something not available in stores. A special offer straight from walking fuss to you and yours. Embrace the light refracting back and feel the coldness fade. Expect it right after a slap between your shoulder blades. Yeah, it's a wrap, but you won't see it underneath the tree. Cause this Christmas, I'm giving you a DDT. Christmas DDT. I gave the signal to the crowd, the deed was 
done And I'ma keep on giving even though you didn't ask Meant to mention that this gift includes a crimson mask When has a present ever entered your head? Left you dripping with the spirit steady drenched with red Lines around the block they can't believe they'll see The true meaning of Christmas I'm delivering a DDT Christmas DDT Christmas, Christmas D-D-T. D-D-T.